politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew with a renewed sense of urgency on this new week here to fight for what matters and the way it matters at the time it matters. Life, liberty, property, everything in between. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today to guide you through this on June 5th, Monday. And folks, it's a new week after last week, which was a week of political adultery, where the two parties, of course, get together when it matters most, and they sell us out another $4 trillion in debt. Ironically, today is actually the date. It was June 5th, 1933, that FDR took us off the gold standard. Everything went down from there. Uh, we used to have a theme of no taxation without representation. And the understanding was government needs money to function, to do anything. And if you don't tax people, and certainly without representation, well, they can't do that. Now, because of this, because we don't have real money anymore, it's all monopoly money, but it makes it still makes the money go, or the world go round and round, we have economic and social transformation without representation. Everything is fake in our economy, in our society. And where is the sense of urgency on the part of anyone who calls themselves right of centered, independent thinking, anything to do anything on any issue? We have this, this rainbow jihad Ramadan month where they're just inculcating our kids into the biggest filth you could imagine we have obviously the death shots and all this technology they have you should see gsk is investing so much money promoting these rsv shots now like we talked about a little bit last week we obviously have the invasion at the border which is continuing quietly and now republicans have no leverage to combat it one after another it points to one thing we need leadership. Absent a leader at the top, nothing will change. We shouldn't need one. But absent that, someone who is going to lean in on all of the issues that matter, we're screwed. So we are going to have my buddy Steve Dace coming up soon momentarily to discuss the latest in that race to be leader of at least the Republican Party. I wish DeSantis would have run independent, but we'll see what happens here. Uh, nobody knows the Iowa caucuses as well as Steve does. So I think we're going to get a little bit of an update as to where things stand on the ground in Iowa because that's ultimately what matters at this point. It's not a national primary. First, our sponsor today, our friends at Barrel Buddy. They have never made cleaning firearms more enjoyable efficient cost effective than ever you know i bump into a lot of people that either don't clean their guns or they spend a lot of money uh giving it to their range master or whatever you know sometimes the range that, that you're a member at cleans their guns for you don't spend the money on that you know, watch a youtube video it's very simple to take it down and then buy yourself a barrel buddy at barrelbuddy.com you get 50 cartridges for just 15 bucks, the cartridges go right through your barrel. You shove it in. It has 360-degree compression, perfectly doing it without the need to get these, uh, you know, these shedding 
materials that just leave residue in your guns or the boar snakes that uh, hide the dirt when it comes out of the barrel so you can't really see it, but it's still there. It works. Um, I'm, I'm going to be on my second cleaning soon with Barrel Buddy for my HNK VP9. Uh, it is invented with real ingenuity by Jim, Eric, and Paul, three great patriots in Michigan, and big fans of the show, by the way. So you could support the show by supporting them. Go to BarrelBuddy.com today. So it's all theater. There's no leadership at the top. We have all political theater. It's interesting. So I was thinking, where are Republicans going to go on from last week? This was kind of the crescendo of the GOP majority in the House. Their whole thing was to fight on the debt ceiling. Well, they didn't. So what are they going to do now? They're going to have two bills they're, they're going to pass at a rules committee today. H.R. 1615 would prohibit the use of federal funds to regulate gas stoves. And then the second one, H.R. 1640, would block the Energy Department's uh, – they have a proposed rule they, they promulgated a couple months ago to establish energy efficiency standards for cooking tops and ovens from taking effect. And I'm thinking this is the classic GOP bait-and-switch we've been dealing with all along. They'll take a standalone bill that they know will not pass the Senate – and they'll say, hey, look at us. We're doing good things. But then when it comes time to those few leverage points of a debt ceiling, of a government funding bill, a farm bill, a reauthorization bill, they will not do a thing. So if you remember, from day one, McCarthy refused to fight on the Green New Deal, what's called the Inflation Reduction Act. That was the seminal piece of legislation of the Biden trifecta for the first two years of his presidency. We will not live as a free and prosperous people so long as that green energy uh, bill is there. But no, he never even fought for it. And that's why, see, each provision that Republicans promise to fight for, they have a fake provision, a bait and switch that they claim to address it. Of course, it doesn't. That thing, they don't address one iota. So they come out this week, oh, yeah, yeah we're going to fight the green energy mandates. Yeah, yeah, when you already gave up your, your leverage. Meanwhile... Get ready for a debt bonanza. Do you understand what it's like? Again, we talk about economic uh, transformation without representation when you're not on a gold standard anymore. The degree of mayhem that they could induce upon the market, impel upon the market, is truly unbelievable. So this is from Bloomberg. Debt auctions are now set to swell. Because remember, it, it's not a debt amount that they were given. They, they weren't given a, a trillion, two trillion. They were given the complete suspend, suspension of the statutory debt limit all the way through or until 2025. The replenishing process, which could involve an amount well in excess of one trillion in new securities. So right away, they're going to, you know, go from thirty-one point four trillion to an you know thirty-two point four trillion, almost instantaneously. This could have unwa- unwanted consequences by draining liquidity from the banking sector, raising short-term funding rates, and tightening the screws on an economy that many economists see headed for a recession. Bank of America Corp has estimated the issuance wave could have the same economic impact as a quarter-point interest rate hike 
by the feds. So, see, they, they make this out to be totally, totally free, risk-free. Oh, we're going to default if we don't do this. Oh, phew, now we can breathe. Oh, we raised the debt limit. Well, now they have to hold all these auctions. Could you imagine misallocating a trillion dollars not into something that the public needs and wants and the economy supports, but into nothing but servicing debt to fund the woke and weaponized Fourth Reich? So it's the even Bloomberg is saying it's the equivalent of a quarter point interest rate hike on the economy. So that's going to exacerbate this banking crisis. And again, whenever it does that, it's not the big banks. It's going to be the community banks that, that get hit. And then, of course, we're going to basically go into recession. And here's the irony. I said this all along. All these baseline spending numbers are all fake because they assume that you're not going to have another COVID, another Ukraine, or another, more commonly, or more common to occur, a recession. That's when everything from unemployment benefits to Medicaid, food stamps, goes up exponentially. So with no statutory debt limit, none of that is going to be subject to another vote. But of course, it's a new week. And it's as if last week never happened, and there is no sense of urgency from my colleagues to do, to do anything. It's another day in the park. Another day to focus on nonsense. This is why we need leadership at the top. DeSantis promised to lean in to all the important issues. And again, there is nothing really remarkable about his campaign or what he's saying. What's remarkable is it's the first person to say it that actually has the receipts to back it up, that you know he has the courage, the spine, the heart, the brain, the acumen, the organization, the discipline to see it through. And that's why, I mean, the the choice between the two couldn't be starker. Unfortunately, now you're going to have 50 million people. They say Greg Abbott's going to get in. Chris Sununu's going to get in, which probably means Christy Nome will get in. It's a whole zoo, and it's all designed to split the vote a million ways when Trump has all the name ID and a high floor of support, so he wins. All these people are doing it off the back of DeSantis because to them, it's just it's just a joke. They get money. They get notoriety. It's, it's an institution to run for president. They know they're not going to get more than 5%, 7% but they don't care. Whereas this guy is the only one putting it all on the line, going toe-to-toe with Trump, and actually actually trying to make a difference. Because again, if, he, if it were about himself, he would have just waited until 2028, when it would have been much easier to glide in there. But I want to I wanna talk to Steve a little bit more about where this stands, where we stand as a movement. We always enjoy those conversations. Today's interview is sponsored by our friends at ExpressVPN. This is the one mask that I actually support. I support masking not your body, your God-given mouth and nose, but your computer. Big tech companies today are masquerading as private companies, but of course they work with big government because we don't have a true private sector anymore thanks to going off the gold standard, really. And they literally 
feed information to government and vice versa. They monitor everything you do. They sell your information. That's why I use ExpressVPN because when I have ExpressVPN on my computer just with the tap of an app, your computer iPhone is completely hidden. It masks your IP address, so websites can't use that address to track you and see what you do online. Um, ExpressVPN also encrypts and reroutes 100% of your online activity, uh, so your internet provider, Wi-Fi admin, and hackers can't see it. And the best part is how easy it is to use. So even someone who's technologically illiterate, like yours truly, could actually do it with one tap of a button. You get a full family subscription, with which uh, covers five up to five devices at the same time. So today's the day. Stop leaving yourself vulnerable to big tech, big government. Get the VPN that I trust to protect my online privacy. Go to expressvpn.com slash conservative to get three months free. So that's, you know, you're really only paying for nine months worth. That's expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's expressvpn.com slash conservative. So folks, I wanted to deviate slightly today and do a little bit of horse race, but it's not just horse race because it's really an assessment of where are we as a movement or industry, shall I say, do people want to take yes for an answer? Are they actually clamoring for leadership? Is there a sense of urgency to get results? Or are we just interested in the show? Well, it's hard to tell. We really have eight months or so just till the first primary. So what the only thing that matters now is what's happening on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire. Okay, this is not a national primary. And increasingly, Iowa is even more important because from what I'm hearing, Sununu will get into the race in New Hampshire. He won't win it. He'll probably come in third uh, from what I hear, but that will still distort the state completely, making Iowa extremely important. So if, if you're looking for change, Iowa really is that inflection moment, and there's nobody more qualified to speak about this. Then our dear friend and colleague, Steve Dace, the prophet of fire and brimstone, uh, now that he has Nefarious out. Who is Nefarious.com, by the way, if you have not seen the movie? Uh, good good way to take uh, your husband, dad, or anyone else to a Father's Day retreat. Who is Nefarious.com is the movie. Hey, Steve, it's great to flip the script today. Thanks so much for joining us today. You got it, brother. Always good to talk to one of my best. Thank you. Yeah, and I know you you got to do your show soon, so we'll we'll try to get you out of here as quickly as we can. I wanted an assessment of what is going on there. What I don't understand is you look at a cursory glance, it appears that DeSantis has had a very good launch, you know, aside from those first 20 minutes. Um, he's saying what people would want to hear. He's doing what people would think he should be doing on the ground. Trump, conversely, is saying and doing all of the things that even I didn't think he would do, whether it's life, trannyism, um, the vaccines, Kim Jong-un, whatever bizarreness every day. But yet, now I know there haven't really been quality independent Iowa-New Hampshire polls out since DeSantis got into the race, so maybe I'm answering my own question, but I'm not really seeing a shift in the polls. What does that tell you? It doesn't tell me really anything. I've done I, I've done this rodeo so many times, brother. I, I know the song, chapter, and verse. I do this every cycle, and the names change. Sometimes they're Rudy Giuliani. Sometimes they're Mitt Romney. 
Uh, sometimes they're Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Rick Santorum, Ron DeSantis. But, you know, we have this idea that, and, and frankly, it's just something we sell in our industry because a segment of our audiences uh, gobble up their uh, preferred political porn, but it's just not substantively true. This idea that Trump has radically altered all these fundamentals and past precedents don't matter, it's just not true. Trump has radically altered norms. I mean, it's certainly the, the frosting on the cake is zanier than it ever has been before. That I will admit, because it's very obvious. But the formula for the, cake, for the making of said cake has never changed or deviated. And what's going on in the ground right now in Iowa is a very typical caucus. And I think for your listeners, some things, you know, they want to be better educated because you're right. I mean, if, if the reality is, if, you know, when you shape the battlefield for Don, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, and one of those two, it's 99.5 percent is going to be the GOP nominee. The battlefield for Donald Trump looks like this, a blitzkrieg. I, 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 you know, I fulfill all of these, um, it's over, um, you know, sort of uh, fait accompli national polls. And I come out of the box right away, like a heavy favorite in a football game. And I curb stomp in Iowa and end this right here. And, and New Hampshire and, and DeSantis goes into a situation in New Hampshire where he must win. And you may even have the New Hampshire governor, as you said, Chris Sununu in the race. And I have this thing over before we even get to my firewall of South Carolina, which is basically the cat, one of the capitals of TV in America. And that's, you know, that's my base for DeSantis to win. Uh, he needs to, for, to win the nomination. He needs to win Iowa and or New Hampshire, uh, but particularly Iowa, because he needs this to be a longer race. He will be better funded. He will be better organized. Uh, he is better. He is actually much better prepared for the quick turnaround Every, every week there's a gaggle of primaries or a singularly important primary, and these are fought on television. That's very emblematic of how you win elections in Florida, which is a, a television election state with so many major markets. Uh, he is actually set up to do that. Um, we get into states like North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Michigan, um, Illinois, uh, Virginia. Uh, these are places where, this, where suburban voters will have much more of a say in the Republican electorate. He will be much more popular with them than he will be in places like Alabama and uh, Mississippi and West Virginia, where that is Trump's rural base. So, so DeSantis needs to win one, uh, you know, he's trying to pull the upset. So he needs to be in the game at halftime so that he doesn't get knocked out. He's not down by 20. So he's got a chance then to really pull, to, to play the game that is more to his advantage. And so that's why there is so much distortion going on right now about what is happening in Iowa. Because both the national media and Donald Trump, even though they hate each other, they are in symbiotic relationship. They both want him to be the nominee for different reasons. He's great for ratings for them. They already know the playbook to run at him uh, and, and what to do. They know he'll largely play into it and we're off. And so everybody's going to try to write Iowa off and say it doesn't matter. I can just tell you, I've done this in Iowa since 1996. I've been a part of every caucus since 1996 from low level activists, literally, you know, um, sitting in the back row for Alan frickin' Keys, okay, to, um, to, to, you know, a guy who has the, helped determine who actually wins the last few of these. So I've seen it, Daniel, from stem to stern, top to bottom. Iowans take the process very seriously. They do not, and this is true in both parties, they do not view themselves as kingmakers. Um, they view themselves as a winnowing fork. You know, we're an ag state. And so we get an up-close look at the field of candidates in every race. 
we don't try to pick necessarily the winner, but the ones that we either think are the most interesting, the most viable, the most important. And, and historically, here's the reality in the Republican Party. No Republican. since So the current primary cycle, as we know, it goes back to 1976 after the post-Watergate era convention reforms. That was the first year of the Iowa caucuses, as we know it now. Since 1976, no Republican that did not finish in the top three in Iowa has ever been elected president of the United States. And only one time has a Republican who didn't finish in the top three won the nomination. And that was John McCain in 2008, Daniel. But he finished fourth by 0.39 points. So we're talking about a virtual statistical tie for third place. So you need to be in that first tier in Iowa. People ask me all the time, why do Iowa and New Hampshire, why are they so emblematic of choosing who eventually is the winner? Because they actually, with smaller populations, represent the two ways to win. Iowa is, as a caucus in a rural state, is a retail politics state. New Hampshire, in a heavily urban area, basically a, an adjunct of the Boston TV market, is won a lot. You know, Reagan won in New Hampshire primary by simply pounding a lectern and saying, I, am, I paid for this microphone, Mr. Speaker. Hillary Clinton won in New Hampshire primary by crying on camera. All right. And so can you catch a viral moment um, in the media? And, you know, and, and those are really the two ways that you win modern elections, retail politics and, um, and media. And, and Iowa and New Hampshire, with small sample sizes, represent those two methodologies. And so traditionally, if you're not strong in those states, you're done. And Iowans will take the process very seriously. Telling them it doesn't matter is, you know, that's a, I, I think that's a great strategy for Team Trump to play into their media narrative. It's also a great strategy to help Ron DeSantis win Iowa, because Iowans will resent that. Uh, they will absolutely resent. It's June 5th. We are not going to have this vote for eight months, as you just said, to tell these people who take this process very seriously, you don't matter. It's a fait accompli. You're basically begging them uh, to to, uh, you know, to 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 contrarian you. So um, DeSantis is building a traditional Iowa caucus campaign. Uh, Trump is running as if the primary is already over. But we all know with Trump that he can change tactics, talking points, everything on the fly. I, you know, if, if, if public polling starts showing that he could lose here, I suspect he will invest heavily and change his tactics as opposed to because he's usually governed by what the public polls say. But one last thing, and I know this is a long answer, but I, it's a primer that I think people need to understand this process, because most people that try to analyze Iowa from outside of it are wrong. And they're usually wrong for one of two reasons. One is they are serious about what's going on in Iowa. They have their own narrative or they haven't even come here and talked to the actual people. Historically, Iowa is a very tough uh, place to poll in the caucuses. There are six, right now, there are 668,000 registered Republicans in Iowa, Daniel, but fewer than 200,000 will vote, well fewer. In 2016, we had our highest turnout ever. That was 181,000 voters. And that doesn't even count people like me that are registered independents who will come in on caucus night and register Republican just to vote, okay? So that means it's a, it's a roulette wheel in trying to pinpoint who will actually show up on caucus night. And then it can change month to month, week to week, weather to weather, particularly in, in the wintertime. Uh, the caucus is, is a process. If, if you vote the way our founders did, sometimes you'll be asked to literally stand up in public and declare your vote. You will listen to people uh, at every caucus site. We'll, we'll try to sell you on the merits of their candidate right there. It is not a primary where you just come in, uh, pull a curtain, and uh, vote. It, 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 it doesn't work like that at all. It requires an investment of time, a minimum of 30 minutes, sometimes up to mm. two hours, depending on where you are. 
so it, it requires an investment of time. And so the, the low information primary voters that screwed people like you and me for many, many years, they get <laughs> weeded out in Iowa. All right. And so trying to figure that out, and I'll just give your audience a close with this and then take, you know, you can, you can take the conversation where you want it to go. Just to give your audience some, some, you know, anecdotal evidence of what I'm saying about tough Iowa is to pull down the stretch in 2016, Donald Trump led in 14 of the last 15 national polls of Iowa by an average of five and a half points on caucus night. He lost by three and a half points. That is a swing of nine points that they were off in 2016. And that's down the stretch when it should be uh, simpler, maybe not easy, but simpler to identify who will turn out. And in 2012, Rick Santorum overperformed the real clear, the final, his final real clear politics polling average by a full eight points. So that tells you how hard it is to pull Iowa when we're close to the caucuses, let alone eight months out. So and that also tells me high information voters dedicated, whether it's the more evangelical base dedicated to a cause of vision on the ground versus the 800 pound gorilla candidate, who's the typically the establishment candidate. In this case, Trump definitely is the establishment candidate in many of the aspects that we use to define establishment. He has all the name ID, the the party backing, former president. So you're saying naturally, if you have a candidate that's not the 800 pound gorilla in the room, but nonetheless has a, in a great organization on the ground and B a passion ideologically about some of his issues, he will likely under pull where he actually is. So that sounds like what you're telling me is that it's very likely, let's just say right now, a poll would have, and we we really don't have like a Des Moines Register poll, something of that equivalent since DeSantis got in. But if you had a poll showing Trump up 20 points over DeSantis now, you know, it, it on the ground, it might only translate into, let's say, 10. Yes. Completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Um, you know, when when you look at um, uh, the ideological component here is key, uh, particularly with the kinds of voters that that both Trump and DeSantis will try to attract. And there's a, there's unique situations in Iowa that happen all the time that can create organic situations. I tried to warn the president's people, people I know that are friends of mine that worked high in the White House. I told them for a year as you and I were working on our, things like our book, Rise of the Fourth Right. This is going to come up in Florida. You guys could get me canceled. I told them you could get me taken off the air. I could disappear. You're going to get asked these questions in Iowa with a camera on organically anyway. We, have a, we had a very strong natural medicine anti-vax community in Iowa going before COVID. Um, I didn't even realize, like until I started on our, our blowtorch here, WHO, I had no idea, Daniel, that people still gave birth at home. I had no clue. And all of a sudden, like people are calling me to come on the show and talk about it. And I find out this is like a big component of my audience. Well, what do you think that natural medicine anti-vax skeptic community think it's grown or shrunk since COVID, (laughs) brother? What do you think? All right. It's freaking mushroom cloud. These people now they're doing the last two years. They have done largely attended like we're talking like 500 to 1000 people, kind of like major candidate events in Iowa come to like their fundraisers at the end of the year. Uh, and, and, and so here's the thing to keep in mind with this group, let's say, and I'm just throwing out a round number for, to make it easy for people. Let's say 150,000 people vote in Iowa. And this group represents 5,000 voters, which wouldn't seem like a lot of people, but if the turnout is only 150,000 and all 5,000 of those people show up to vote and they all in the, and the vast majority of them all vote one way, you bet your sweet bippy that that has a huge 
say one one very devoted group singular on an issue or a slate of issues or a personality in Trump's case can absolutely, if they are willing to show up, can have a major persuasion factor in uh, in what happens on caucus night. So I'm not surprised. First time the president comes uh, to comes here and takes open questions from the audience right away. He gets asked about the the, the poison poke. I'm not shocked. I'm, Steve, I'm, I, I, you, I, I'm shocked that they're shocked. I, I warned them publicly and privately for a year. How did and, that and so play? That, how did that play? Uh, you're, you're referencing where he basically said, look, a big swath of the country likes it. I'm so ha- happy I got it done. Wouldn't even yeah. recognize the baseline degree of injury that even the government recognizes at this point. How did that play? Not well. <laughs> it doesn't play well. No one here, if, you're, listen, if, if you live in Clive, Iowa, suburb of Des Moines, and, and either you took the vaccine, like most people that took it did, because you, they put a gun to your head, or you didn't, um, or, or, and, or you know someone who has uh, tinnitus in their ear now and can't, and can't hear out of it, or you know someone who, uh, fell, who died suddenly jogging. Everyone in Iowa, because everyone in everywhere is in one of the groups I just mentioned, or know somebody like this, and you hear him say that. It, it doesn't matter that, that people in California think let's well, let's you know let's just take these until we die it, it doesn't matter Iowans don't care about any of that it's it's a very mm-hmm. even though this is a national election it is a very parochial process and i'm not shocked that it came up right away there was another matter that did not get a lot of media play though and this is the stuff that matters underneath the surface in iowa quite a bit so our our big conservative advocacy group here the family leader is it's 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 president is one of my best friends bob vanderplotz they're not even fully engaged in this process yet. I mean, you know, they're still they, like Nikki Haley was at their offices two weeks ago. Mike Pence was here last week. Bob will Bob and his organization will will, will remain officially and even below the radar, completely neutral until they they have they, they have a leadership summit that took the place of the old straw poll that the establishment got rid of because their candidates kept getting embarrassed in it. <laughs> and so and so once they got rid of the straw poll, Bob's leadership summit kind of took the place of that. And it's not a straw poll. It's a place now where all the candidates can come in front of evangelical, the evangelical base, which can be 60 to 65 percent of an Iowa caucus turnout. Uh, and, and they essentially get a chance to make their pitch. And this year, though, their pitch is going to be they all get interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Who knows? Given the way his legalities are working, this may be his first public appearance, which would make this even bigger in terms of mm. media coverage. Right. You throw that in. OK. And so Bob's organization is not even engaged in the process right now. There's a there's a there's an independent group of pastors that are associated with David Barton uh, and Chad Connolly, who used to be the head of uh, the faith outreach for the RNC. And they've got their own pastoral network around the country, including some here in, in, in Iowa. And so they just had them going around and, and praying for the candidates and, and getting private audiences with them. And I will tell you, the answers that Trump gave this group on life and, and moral issues they were flabbergasted at the answers that he gave them privately. Flabbergasted. And this is not a group that's going to that's gonna run out and go on our local news and blab about it. You know what they are going to do? They're going to tell all their former pastors about it. So let me follow up with that because I think this is important. I've spoken to pollsters that are both more pro-Trump and, and more pro-DeSantis, and I've heard in general from both of them that the issues don't seem to matter with Trump because it's not why people vote for him. So, for example, if you just look at what he said 
just the past month or two without having to dig up the past number of years. What he's done on abortion, what he's done on the tranny stuff with Disney, okay, what he's done on, I mean, just some of these psychotic things that maybe aren't even ideological, but he sounds like John Fetterman on, on, on a good day should disqualify him with Republican voters. But, you know, I got a response to a tweet of mine when I talked about the debt ceiling betrayal, and someone's like, yeah, this is why we need Trump, okay? You know, (laughs) when he literally said on your former Iowa station there that it is what it is, he obviously worked the phones for McCarthy, that's his boy. You know, the facts just don't matter when it comes to him. Are you telling me that because of the parochial process of the Iowa caucuses not being reflective of the generic GOP primary ballot nationwide could fly in the face of some of that analysis. Yes, because this happens every cycle, Republican or Democrat. Daniel, there was a national, credible national outlet uh, about 90 days before the 2008 Iowa caucuses that had Hillary Clinton ahead of Barack Obama nationally by 30 points. She then lost the Iowa caucuses and lost the nomination. That's, that is the nature of this process. I mean, even if we only had, if, if, if we only had 50, let's say we had a closed primary. So I, so I'd have to go register Republican 90 days out, six months out in order to go vote. And only 50% of registered Republicans showed up which would be about 340,000 people. Then we get into the group of people that is more emblematic of what we see nationally that you are describing that is the bane of you and I's existence. Okay. I think that a lot of people misunderstand you and I's disdain for, for aspects of Trump's political persona. It's not so much him personally, as much as the unwillingness to hold him accountable to anything that would actually give us what we want when he has shown in the past, the few times we do rake him, rake him over the knuckles, he gives in to us. If we did that all the time, he'd do it probably he'd do it far more often as opposed to we just, you know, cover for him and Trump couldn't possibly fail us. We could only fail Trump kind of, you know, cult, uh, you know, mystique that is out there. When you're when you're talking about an election of 150 to 200,000 people, the amount of those people that I just discussed that will be representative of that electorate is not very large. You know, Trump got 23 percent of the Iowa caucus vote. I believe that was his smallest percentage in any state during the 2016 caucus cycle. And keep in mind that that was after he campaigned in our state for a year. And he got 23 percent. We did a poll on at the very end of the Cruz campaign in Missouri. And I brought this up on my show many times. And so people that cross over and listen to both of us are going are gonna to know, uh, know this poll by heart because it's my all time favorite poll at least in the last, you know, 10 years. But for those of you that just listen to Daniel and you only have time to listen to him, this will be new to you. We did a poll in Missouri um, towards the end of the GOP primary cycle in 2016 because our internal polling showed us killing it with evangelicals. And the public polling showed Cruz or that Trump was winning evangelicals. And so, you know, the, the, who's an evangelical? Who is that? You know, does the media, does a, does a secular left-wing media even know what that term means, right? And so we wanted to quantify who that was. And Missouri was a good place to do that. I don't know what the numbers are now, but in, 20, in 2016, there were only two states in the union where a majority or half of the population still, the general population, still attended church more than once a month. Utah was number one with the LDS church out there. 
and Missouri was number two. Basically, right exactly 50% of the general population went to church at least once a month. And here's what we found, Daniel. If you claimed to be an evangelical in our survey, but you either did not know the first name of your pastor or had not been to church in a month or more, you voted for Trump by 20 points. If you claimed to be an evangelical, but you knew the first name of your pastor and you've been to church at least once, if not twice a month uh, in the last few months, you voted for Cruz by double digits. Well, in the Iowa caucus, that latter group is the, is the, is the kind of evangelical that dominates. Mm. The, sort of, the sort of rural Alabama, uh, KIV's great, and um, <laughs> I'm, at the, I'm at the NASCAR track and never go to church. But because I dress little Ellie Mae up in her Easter and Christmas dress twice a year and we go to First Baptist Church, I call myself an evangelical. You know, my, 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 my Catholic assistant, Todd, refers to them as roll-tide evangelicals. Trump, Trump owns those people, and you're never getting them away from him. But in Iowa, that is not a very large segment of the evangelical or caucus electorate as a whole. It's just not. So that leads me into the final final point here, and I want to zoom a little bit away from Iowa, just in general, the state of play of what we're up against. And, and we see a lot of confusing signals. On the one hand, it's easy to dismiss that, hey, look, you know, you and I are in the minority. The reality is most people want the show. They don't give a darn about uh, results. And, and, and this is why we see in most primaries, forget about presidential, but, you know, Pick the Texas primary with Greg Abbott. You had two well-funded challengers for once, uh, you know, either name ID or well-funded. And, you know, they can only get 30% against him. And that, that's typical of what we saw, even with no-name challengers. You get 25 30%, but the rest, it's, it's just really, really difficult. And there's nowhere to move on from there. But then you do see that DeSantis was very popular, is very popular in Florida, how do you square the fact that you have someone like DeSantis who has made such a name off of going after the tranny agenda, and he's very popular, uh, Republicans love him there, but then you go to Wyoming, you have Governor Mark Gordon, and he said, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it's something like it's cruel to go after castration for minors, and I think they couldn't even get um, the female sports stuff, which is just the baseline. And yet he is wildly popular. I mean, his approval is very high among Republicans. How do you square that? What the hell do our voters want? Um, anybody with an R after their name. <laughs> That's it. I mean, any, any, anybody with an R after their name. I, I, I used to tell this joke on my show all the time. Um, and Abraham won the Republican primary, and it was credited to him the magic R, and thus righteousness. I mean, that's... We are, we are in the midst right now, um, the idea that the secular deconstruction of America was only going to affect the left is just simply not true. We all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We all will worship something. We all want a Messiah. We all want a deliverer. And if, if, if it's what we're, we're in a position right now where we, you are, we're, we are, you know, you just had Dave Reboy on your show, so let me make sure he gets the credit for this. We are, in, we are in the midst of late Republic nonsense. And what you noticed in Rome in late Republic nonsense, a couple of things. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Um, citizenship had largely been diluted. Most of the military, uh, in order to maintain the vast bureaucracy and empire, was actually overrun with foreigners. 
And so when the Visigoths came over the wall, they not only, the centurions not only defended, didn't defend Rome, but about 40% of them actually reversed jerseys and recognized Cousin Merle and helped sack the city because those were their actual homeboys. Uh, the other thing you saw is the, is the nation uh, the, the essentially, um, minus the Christian influence, but the major Greco-Roman uh, cultural sectors broke down into dueling cults, D-U-E-L-I-N-G. Um, on one hand was the, was, the, was the cult of what our colleague Oron McIntyre refers to as the total state. Everything, Rome for Rome's sake, the glory of Rome. Um, Rome is eternity. Um, and then on the other hand, um, the cult of Caesar, um, the, the individual cult, the, the, the individual hero. Give Julius Caesar the keys to the city to save us uh, from the total state. Uh, and then, of course, he never gives the keys to the city back. Um, and, that, and you see, you hear Trump tap into that language a lot with I alone can solve. I've, that's what I, when I make King Saul references, a lot, you know, I, I had dinner with our good friend Peter McCullough in Boise, Idaho, uh, this past weekend. And a lot of it, we spoke very candidly with one another and very privately. One thing I will share that he said, though, that blew him away traveling the country is how many people really want a king. Wow. And remember, and, and remember when... When, when we, I mean, I don't need to tell you, I don't need, I don't need to exegete your history to you. But um, when, when, when the last great judge of Israel, Samuel, takes the people's position demanding a king to God, what does God say? They, they didn't turn on you. They turned on me. They turned on me. That's what it is. They, they don't want a spiritual leader. And, and, and I'm not saying DeSantis is a spiritual leader, but someone who will guide a republic, get results for you, Kind of that humbleness. He always uses the word "we," um, very much the antithesis of the "I." But this is the conflict. I I don't know because on the this one hand, when, Iowa, this is why this, not to interrupt you, but this is an important point. This is why Iowa is so important. We are the only state in the union that ever got rid of judges by popular vote mm. because of their their unconstitutional rulings. What we've done in this state, um, the last ten years. Is, is almost unmatched anywhere in the country, except for what DeSantis has done in Florida, largely by bending the system to his own will. There is a unique electorate here. And this is where, look at what happened in, 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 in the public polling in the immediacy after the, the November elections. And, and you saw um, a lot of candidates, whether they were backed by McConnell or Trump, disappoint, uh, and the overall election results were disappointing. And, and yet there was this one red wave in Florida and, and Fox News essentially became a super PAC for DeSantis for 72 hours afterwards. And you saw like a Thanos snap. You saw the entire public polling paradigm turn on its axis because everybody said, oh, that's the guy that can win. All right. If DeSantis can just he, he if he can pierce the bubble and win Iowa. Then the then, if, then don't make the mistake we made on the cruise campaign. But we spent the next six damn weeks arguing about something we never even did completely. Sell this whole thing, we stole the election from Ben Carson. <laughs> so I think did about five more election uh, events in Iowa in that cycle than I did. All right. Uh, and, uh, and, and that ruined all of our momentum. And then you had Fox News. Roger Ailes hated Cruz. Bronze uh, is the new go gold. Yep. Yep. And, and Rubio's got the brand new, uh, the, the greatest third place finish ever. And we had, and all of our momentum was lost, and we had to completely recalibrate again, beginning on Super Tuesday. If his team can win Iowa, won't be easy, but I will say they are doing the things that you would need to do for you to win here eight months from now. Um, but 
a lot of this, frankly, Daniel, is going to be decided by the first time they share a debate stage together. I really believe that. And I, I think if Trump runs him over, it doesn't matter what organizational uh, yeah. presence DeSantis has right now in Iowa, which is impressive to start with. It's done. It's done tomorrow. If, if, this, if he stands up there and fires, uh, you know, one smooth stone at Goliath, then this whole thing can turn on a dime the other way. I think it's that important for when they when they share a stage together. Does Trump look like, son, you ain't ready for prime time yet? Or does DeSantis make him look like it is time to put you out to pasture? I think that is a very big moment. But we can't control that. That's an organic moment that will be determined just by the two of them. What the campaign can control um, about setting the stage for what it would take to win here, it is actually doing. And if it can win here, and then you start to win some other places that are more favorable to you demographically, more heavily suburban, suddenly now there is no God bless his soul, but he's not here with us anymore. There is no Rush Limbaugh to be Trump's super PAC like he was in that primary. The, the Drudge Report, also a super PAC for Trump. No one goes there it's and it on our side anymore. It's irrelevant. Fox News, at best, will be 50-50 between Trump and DeSantis. At best for Trump, I mean, at best. Um, and so these three elements, which are, were monolithic in terms of the flow of information on our side, they were all operating as Trump super PACs by the time we got to the, the, the Super Tuesday in the Republican primary. That will not happen this time. And so if DeSantis can win Iowa and get to the, that second stage of the, of, of, the, of the race where more suburban states will have a say, uh, and then it looks like he, he's winnable, suddenly the very people that you were just lamenting, just like we saw after the last election, suddenly they'll flip and say, okay, that's the guy that's going to win. We should go with him. Bingo. Bingo. That's why Iowa matters probably more even this cycle than any of the previous cycles we've seen. Um, folks, if you like more of this sort of analysis, every day, 12 to 2 Eastern, Steve show is on, plus overtime for Blaze subscribers, and whoisnefarious.com is where you can catch the movie. All right, Steve, see you later this week. Take care. You got it, brother. Thank you. So that is, again, the prophet of fire and brimstone, my colleague Steve Days, who can do Iowa caucus analysis like no other person. And I think it's important for several reasons. Number one, um, I've said this for quite some time. I really believe that this should be the standard for all primaries, you know, whether it's congressional or governor or whatever. We should have either caucuses or conventions that is geared towards a process that elevates more high information voters. And this is not a way of saying, oh, I don't like your the way you guys vote, so I want only my people. But the point is to answer my question. You know, what, what do voters want? Do they want Mark Gordon in Wyoming or do they want DeSantis? Well, which one is it? And it gets back to Steve and I have been talking about this for years. You know, if you, you, Republicans for years, they got salad. So you give them Cheez-Its, sugar versus salad. Well, they'll, they'll take the sugar. But what if you gave them steak, steak versus the Cheez-Its? Would they choose the steak? And I think the answer is, if they know about the steak and you drum it in their brain, they probably will take it, and often enthusiastically. But if they don't know about it enough, they'll go with the shiniest thing in front of them or what they know of. So I think it's kind of a middle ground, and, that, and that's what you see. Rarely do we have someone that has enough name ID and money to get in there um, to make the case, even though among some high-information voters will be like, hey, this is what we've all said we wanted, so they'll go with what they know, a generic R. In this case, Trump is a generic R, whether his supporters want to admit that or not. And this is why I, I am such an advocate of 
making the primary process more of a convention where you have activists dominating it uh, because they are a better reflection of what Republican voters kind of stand for. But when you have all these lying ads, like like Steve mentioned Kay Ivey in Alabama, I mean, how do you vote for someone like that? It just It just doesn't make any sense. But that's the generic R curse. So in many respects, we are blessed with the fact that Iowa is first in this case because that is the best chance to upend the paradigm. Now, it doesn't mean you win the race from there, but it does put you into, uh, you know, a much better momentum, but also kind of erases this aura of inevitability, which is really what Trump is feasting off of. So I think that makes a huge difference. And that's why national polls aren't going to matter. What matters is where do things stand in, in Iowa and the next in, in New Hampshire. And I think that is ultimately going to be what changes it. Because also remember, Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum didn't have the ability, even if they won Iowa, to convert down the stretch and compete down the stretch. They really didn't. Um, I mean, the case of Santorum, he didn't even get the benefit of the bump of Iowa just because the night of the caucuses, it was declared that Romney won, and, and then you know it flipped. So he didn't even benefit from that. And then Cruz, who did win, you had the whole Carson anomaly that really sandbagged him, that Steve so articulately laid out. All those factors are not going to be in place. And then DeSantis is probably even better placed than Cruz to win down the stretch with resources. So that's the path. Um, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that is the path right there. Another interesting point Steve brought out that I thought is worth mentioning. Um, and again, especially when you're talking about more caucus type of states, and there are a number of other caucus states. If you have a, a minority, but a very committed minority of, of people that are just tired of vaccines, that has really grown there's an article here from Fierce Pharma. They talk about GSK investing millions into basically boosting immunization. And they note how over the last few years, um, vaccination data, it's, it's gone downhill, which is a good thing. And GSK, just, just note, GSK really has a lot of skin in the game because GSK did not really play with COVID they're now with RSV, but they sell hepatitis A, Hep B, flu shots, shingles, um, MMR, rotavirus, just to name a few. So that is – they're voting with their pocketbook. They're telling you that they're concerned with growing, I guess, skepticism of this mass vaccination. So we'll see. We'll see what a role that plays. And but you know it's look it's DeSantis's job to tap into that even further and and you know I I want to see him do events with vaccine injured and and take this to the next level I I agree with Steve I th I really think that could help him in a caucus state like Iowa also even from a different angle not so much from like the Christian homeschooling natural you know demographic of Iowa but I think in New Hampshire you do have a lot of libertarians that are like that as well. So certainly those first two states, this is going to be a big opportunity. And by the way, just speaking of this issue, 
Uh, I was just notified by our friends at Seven Cells, but it's it's being done through early treatment meds, different website. They actually have 50% off. They they said my my promo code Daniel is still there. So earlytreatmentmeds.com is where they have um it's a US license. Obviously, you can get ivermectin, nitazoxanide, their premium early treatment packs, not just for COVID, but long haul COVID vaccine injury. A lot of this stuff helps anti-inflammatories as well as flu-like syndromes that we're gonna see grow through because of all this uh nonsense, um, all the viral immune escape from all this vaccination. So again, earlytreatmentmeds.com, 50% off. They're running, I believe, through Labor Day with promo code Daniel. Um, And again, it works like the same way the Jace Medical does. You have to fill out a questionnaire, um, upload your license just so they could give you a valid um, prescription because it's a pharmacy, but then they have doctors attached to it. So that is important as well. I just want to end. I want to talk a little bit more about the Rainbow Jihad this week. But you have this AP article with DeSantis. Transgender adults in Florida are blindsided that a new law also limits their access to health care. See, folks, we have, even in the few states where we have Republicans actually do what we want, there's no understanding or expectation that there's going to be follow-through. So there's no fear of it. But here... There's fear that he's going to, you know, really zealously enforce this. And they talk about Eli and Lucas, trans men who are a couple. So I guess two, what, is, what does that mean? Two women that think they're men and then get married? Followed the discussion in the legislature where Democrats warned that trans children would be more prone to suicide under a ban on on what they, their weird way of expressing castration in this AP article. Um, but they're blindsided that they discovered the bill contained language that would also disrupt their lives. There was no communication. Nobody was really taking talking about it in our circle, said Eli29. And they're threatening to move. Lucas26 lost his access to treatment when Orlando Clinic that prescribed him hormone replacement therapy stopped providing gender-affirming care altogether, meaning not just for minors, even though it's not prohibited under law. See, this is what leadership is. In politics, perception is reality. And when you project the power of a strong executive for our purposes, this is success. And also, obviously, they banned... um, you know, Medicaid from covering this stuff. I don't know if these guys are on Medicaid, but that's a big part of it. This is the way you get it done. Do we want results or do we want endless entertainment? I don't know the answer to that yet. Steve seems to think that we're, you know, usually we're struck by lightning in politics. Everything works against us, but we're lucky that we perhaps might have the best state going first And that might really upend the race where you have a disproportionate amount that maybe do care about results over entertainment. Because again, that's an important factor Steve mentioned there that it could take 30 minutes to two hours to sit at a caucus. That's very different from just running in to vote. Because typically you don't even have long lines in a primary so you could just kind of come in, do your thing, and leave. And And it's also guaranteed private with the caucusing. It's not. So that certainly does weed out low-info Republicans, and I think that's important. He noted the, the the polling because, yeah, I mean, there was almost not a single poll showing Cruz up on Trump, but he did wind up winning. 
People forget about that. Now, Fox basically destroyed him, but again, now Fox is weaker. It's a little bit more divided, so we'll see what happens with that. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. We're just getting started here. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. At RM Conservative is the Twitter. And my columns will be up, as always, at conservativereview.com in the blaze. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 